We're continuing the series um, from, the, from the lectionary, and this week it's called With a Demonstration. And some of you have probably heard this saying. Uh, Laurel mentioned it last week. It's preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. And it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Now, the thing about that attribution is historians really have never found any place where he actually said those words. But it's attributed, you know, that, that kind of happens. It's, it's like, you know, a- Abraham Lincoln... Uh, it said some things. I've seen some memes on the internet, so I know they're true. Uh, <laughs> actually, St. Francis did say this. So there is something that he said that's very similar. He, he said, It is no use walking anywhere to preach unless the walking is our preaching, which is saying a very similar thing. You know? And what it means is that our actions matter, and that's an important thing in, in our journey together. Um, because sometimes we, we study more than we do. And studying is critically important, but doing matters as well. Our passage, and, and uh, so if you'll join me in our passage, it's a long passage this morning. It's out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Yet among the mature we do speak wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish, But we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For what human being knows what is truly human except the human spirit that is within? So also no one comprehends what is truly God's except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. And we speak of these things in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual things to those who are spiritual. Those who are unspiritual do not receive the gifts of God's Spirit, for they are foolishness to them, and they are unable to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Those who are spiritual discern all things, and they are themselves subject to no one else's scrutiny. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. There's a saying, what do you know? And there's all sorts of ways to ask that question, right? It could be a genuine search for knowledge, right? What, what do you know? You know, that, that's a question that trying to gain some insight and, and, uh, the, and, and, and understand it could be a dismissal. What do you know? You don't know nothing. So there's different ways that you can do it. It could be, what do you know? 
You know, wow, there's a lot of ways to do this. There are probably more ways even than that to to kind of nuance those words. And in many ways, it sounds like what Paul is dealing with in this week's text. It's not really a a question in the center of the proclamation, but it's a question that comes out. Wisdom is the word that Paul comes back to again and again, and mystery, wisdom and mystery. And those are big words that we might call rhetoric that are present in, in the text. All of them point to knowledge, at least on the surface. What do you know that you can pass on, Paul? What is it that you're going to give to us? What can you teach us? What do you know, Paul, that you can bring to us? That's what the Corinthians are saying. What do you know, Paul? What can you teach us? And Paul tells us that's not it. It's not what I know. It's who I know. And Paul knows a lot of stuff. And it's not that there aren't a lot of things to know. Those of us who study, it's like the more we learn, the more it just it keeps getting bigger. You know, there's more to learn. Uh, and, 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 it's, and so there's always this constant embracing of humility in our journey and our study because the more we know, the more we find out that we don't know. And, and this journey that, that keeps enticing us and drawing us further. It's not that there aren't stories to tell. Paul had all kinds of stories to tell. But the premise of the question is what gave him pause. He says he didn't come with a body of knowledge. He said he came by choice. He didn't come with, with human knowledge. He had a lot, right? Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was raised in, in, in the Pharisaic school. He understood Greek philosophy. This was God chose wisely when he chose him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Smart guy. But when he's talking to this church, it's not about what he knew. He chose to set all that aside. He said this. He said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And and I, I hope that this gives us hope. Often we don't share our faith because what? I don't know enough. What if they ask this question? Paul says, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Share him. Share what you have seen, heard, and experienced of God. So this what do you know is the wrong question. The better, more proper question is whom do you know? Because if if you know Jesus, if you know God, then all of these things, God's going to work with you. The mystery of God, this wisdom that's beyond the wisdom of the age, the upside-downness of God, the, the God who doesn't think the way that we think, the God who doesn't do the things that we do, the God who doesn't choose the people that the world would choose as the upper crust. He chooses the broken and the contrite in spirit and the humble and says, you're the ones, come. You're the ones, come. It's not the spirit of this age. It's his Holy Spirit. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is a who, not a what. It's a who, not a what. It's our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So our content, our information is about Jesus, right? Well, Paul would argue, not really. It's something even more riskier than that. It's something even more than that. It's about a relationship with Jesus. Share your relationship. With Jesus, Rick would say, share your what, relationship and fellowship. The aspects of, of who we are in the context of our belief and our following of God. Paul came with fear and trembling. He came in weakness. All he had to offer to the Corinthian church was himself and the Christ who lives 
within. He had no argument to make. He didn't bring knowledge to pass on. He didn't, that wasn't what he came. It wasn't about me. What, you know, remember the part about baptism a few weeks ago? You know, I didn't baptize any of it. It's not about, you know, some would say you're from Apollos, you know, and some say you're from Paul. That isn't what it's about. Who do you know? Whose are you? It's about Jesus, and it's about the relationship that you have with the God who loved you so much that he died for you. He didn't have an argument to make, and he didn't have knowledge to pass on to him in this context. He had just who he is and who he is becoming in Christ. Are you all becoming in Christ? Glory to glory. Think about this for a minute. We in the United Methodist Church, we have a mission statement. It's back there on the back. The mission of the United Methodist Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And that's complicated enough as it is. But if Paul is right, then we're doing it wrong when we just give information to people to help them become disciples. It's not just about information. Francis Chan, I I tell a lot of his stories because I I love the way he puts stuff. He has a daughter named Rachel. And so he he puts it this way. He says, you know, the Bible tells us to to do something and and we don't feel like we have to do it. So we'll just kind of set up a study group and and we'll go, you know, study, and, and we'll learn about it, and we'll pull, you know, our groups together, and, and we'll, we'll learn all, all around it. If, if I tell my daughter Rachel to go clean her room, what if she came back to me and she said, Dad, you know, I got 10 of my friends together, and we studied how to clean my room. And next week, we're going to we're gonna, we're gonna look at how do you vacuum. And the following week, we're going we're gonna to look at how do you dust. But she never cleans her room. Isn't it funny that in the church, Jesus tells us to do something, and we study it, and we don't do it? We don't clean our room. By the way, me too. (laughs) We've lost something of significance when we reduce this process to information that we can pass on. Put in a a pamphlet, hand out a tract, give them the information, and then be done with it. Paul says he was among the people not with plausible words, words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and power. So what does that mean? What did he offer to them? At Discipleship Ministries for the United Methodist Church, they serve churches all over the world, all over the denomination, by creating intentional discipleship systems. And if making disciples is the core reason for our existence, we say this on the way out, go and make disciples, right? That's what we're a core part of who we are. And if that's a core reason for our existence, then we need to be taking it seriously. And the information is important, but if we're not going beyond that, then we are missing the boat. If we're just studying about God and we don't have a relationship with God, something's missing. And it's a powerful, tangible something. The dunamis, right, Drew? The dunamis of God, the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. If we don't have the Holy Spirit in our lives and if we're not really working towards that relationship and all we do is know stuff, then we just know about God and we don't know God. And that ain't what it's about. But for the survival of the church, we need to build build relationships so that we are followers of Christ and not fans. Cheering Jesus on. Go, Jesus! Oh, you guys that are in the game, good job. Keep going. Woo! We've got to get out of the stands and on the field. We've got to do it. 
So it's about working within the congregation. It's about working outside the congregation, helping one another grow in this relationship, helping one another grow in faith to become the disciples that we are called to be. At Arbor Point Church, we seek to deepen the faith, every person deeper, of each person through discipleship. And we, we did the journey a couple, of, a couple of years ago, and we're coming back, kind of circling back around that. We're going to look at this idea of worship plus two as a concept of discipleship. We worship. We worship with praise, with the word and gospel, with the message, with what I, if I ever come in here and I don't preach out of the Bible, you need to, you need to just kind of yell at me, right? You know, it's, I had somebody ask me once, do you preach the Bible? It's like, how do you preach and not preach the Bible? You know, it's, I guess it happens, but, you know, it, anyway, the, the word and gospel with the right heart, with, with prayer, with, the, with all the saints and with regularity, do not forsake the gathering together of yourselves. We come together. Worship is a big part of who we are. The plus two is community and commission. Community being one another centered discipleship of sharing not only the gospel, but our lives as well in the church. This is the place where Bible study is. We, we, we want, have one-on-one -on -one discipleship, gospel-centered conversions, a kingdom focus. We want the, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we say yes to Jesus, we enter the kingdom. And that kingdom living is not something just for the future. It's a here and now kingdom. And commission is the service-centered discipleship focus. It's service-centered discipleship focused on the gospel. It's to the saints in the church. It's inside the church. It's to our community and beyond. It's a term that you're going to become familiar with. It's quorum deo. You probably have heard imago dei, image of God. Quorum deo is, is something that, that you're going to hear. And so, so let me outline it for you. This is from R.C. Sproul. It's not mine. I, uh, thank you. <laughs> he, he, tell, he says this. He says, I remember mama standing in front of me, her hands poised on her hips. Some of you are all going to recognize you, this happened to me. Her hands poised on her hips, her eyes glaring with hot coals of fire and saying in stentorian tones, aside, I have no idea what that means, but I know what that look is. Just what is the big idea, young man? And instinctively, I knew my mom was not asking about some abstract question about theory. Her question was not a question at all. It was a thinly veiled accusation. Her words were easily translated. I mean, why are you doing what you're doing? She was challenging me to justify my behavior with some kind of a valid idea, and I had none. Recently, a friend asked me in all earnestness the same question. He asked, what is the big idea of the Christian life? He was interested in the overarching ultimate goal of the Christian life. And to answer his question, I fell, fell back on the theologian's prerogative and gave him a Latin term, quorum deo. The big idea of the Christian life is quorum deo. Quorum deo captures the essence of the Christian life. The phrase literally refers to something that takes place in the presence of or before the face of God. To live quorum deo is to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. To live in the presence of God is to understand that whatever we are doing, wherever we are doing it, we are acting under the gaze of God. God is omnipresent. We never get away. He's always with us everywhere that we go. Don't let that scare you. It's a good thing. There is no place so remote that we can escape his penetrating gaze. So that, to be aware of the presence of God is also to be acutely aware of his sovereignty. The uniform experience of the saints is to recognize that if God is God, then he is indeed sovereign. When Saul was confronted by the glory of the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, his immediate question was, Who is it, Lord? 
He didn't question sovereignty as who is it. He wasn't sure who he was speaking to, but he knew that whoever it was was sovereign over him. And living under divine sovereignty involves more than a reluctant submission to sheer sovereignty that is motivated out of fear of punishment. And another aside, I think the church has gotten too far into this fear of punishment. God's love, yes, he is a just God, but he is a loving God as well. Sproul continues, he said, it involves recognizing that there is no higher goal than offering honor to God. Our lives are to be living sacrifices offered in a spirit of adoration and gratitude. To live all of life quorum Deo is to live a life of integrity. It's a life of wholeness that finds its unity and coherency in the majesty of God. A fragmented life is a life of disintegration. It is marked by inconsistency, disharmony, confusion, conflict, contradiction, and chaos. The Christian who compartmentalizes their life into two sections of the religious and the non-religious has failed to grasp the big idea, and that is that all of life is religious or none of life is religious. To divide life between the religious and the non-religious is in itself sacrilege. Now, what that means is that if a person fulfills his or her vocation as a steelmaker, attorney, or homemaker, quorum Deo, hear this, then that person is acting every bit as religiously as a soul-winning evangelist who fulfills his vocation. It means that David was just as religious when he obeyed God, call, God's call to be a shepherd as when he was anointed to be the king of Israel. It means that Jesus was every bit as religious when he worked in, 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 in his dad's shop as a carpenter as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Integrity is found where men and women live their lives in a pattern of consistency. It's a pattern that functions the same basic way in church and out of church. It's a life that's open before God. It's a life in which all that is done is done as to the Lord. It's a life lived by principle, not expediency, by humility before God, not defiance. It's a life lived under the tutelage of conscience that is held captive by the word of God. Coram Dea, before the face of God of God. That's the big idea. Next to this idea, all other goals and ambitions become mere trifles. Living quorum Deo is living in his presence, under his authority, to his glory. Interesting thing, it's the ultimate expression of be you for him. Be who you are. But don't be who you are for you. Don't do it selfishly. Don't do it in a way that it's all about me and I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. This is how I was made, so I'm just going to do that. Where is God in that conversation? Be you, but be who you are for him. Live your life in the presence of God under the authority of God to the glory of God. And this, this calls us to work in our wider community, a place where we attempt to see all the people and all still means all, not just our people, not just the people we agree with, not just the people within the walls of the church, but all people, the people around us as we work, the people around us as we worship, the hurting, the hungry, the distracted, the cynical, all the people, the searchers even, those who don't even know that they don't know, right? All people. And what do we have to offer them? Nothing 
but Jesus Christ and him crucified. But again, not information about this Christ. We've talked about what it means to witness, to share what you have seen, heard, and experienced of God. That's what we do. There's a story to tell. There's information to share. But the most powerful connections that you will make is when you share your heart and your faith in Christ with another. Paul knew that when he went to the church at Corinth. Now, he had a lot of stuff to tell them, and he told them throughout this letter. You know, But he starts out by saying it's about Jesus Christ and him crucified. So we share that. It's not a process, not just a process about joining the church. Though there's a family who will gather them in and make them a part of the whole, and that's critically important. It's not levels to a chain. Oh, I'm at this level in the church. No, it's not about any of that. Well, but I'm up front. Well, some of the most powerful Christians I know, you wouldn't even know that, you know, they sit in the back and they make a huge difference behind the scenes, you know. What we have is what Paul had. Nothing but himself and the Christ that lives within. And Paul talks about sharing an inner experience, wisdom taught by the Spirit. And he talks about how the unspiritual can't receive that wisdom or understand those gifts. So what does that mean? We're supposed to talk to insiders only? No, thank you. <laughs> we don't talk to just those who have a relationship with Jesus, but it does mean something. It means our language matters. If I go to an unbeliever who doesn't believe in the authority of the Bible and I start quoting scripture to him, what is, what is he going to do with that? Doesn't care. Doesn't matter. How do I meet somebody where they are? How do I build that relationship? Jacob Orr, who is one of the uh, videos that we have for, for our coffee house guy, he was a young man who um, raised in the church, fundamentalist church, kind of when he got old enough, pew, gone. You know, and um, so he went out, and then he lost a job. He ended up back home. And uh, part of what Jericho is about is about the story of Jacob Orr, really, because what he did was he was home, and he was looking for Internet back in the mid-2000s, 2007 or eight. And so he found this little hole-in-the-wall coffee shop, and he went down there because they had Internet, and he had a cup of coffee, and he met the guy, and he hung out with him. Worked out good, so he kept going back. And it was about a year later that he found out that the guy was a pastor. He didn't know for a year of going and having coffee and hanging out with this guy that he was a pastor. And that began a road that brought him back into relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the power of bringing the sacred and the secular together of what we hope this little corner in the back is going to do for us in this community. It will provide an air, a way for, for different worlds to be in proximity. Jacob now runs Safe House Coffee. It's a Christian organization. You know, because he went and had a cup of coffee with a guy that he had no idea was a pastor. And the guy just met him where he was and hung out with him. What if we do that in our lives? What if we share our lives with one another? What if we share our lives with those who don't know this Jesus that we love? That will move, move hearts and move lives. It's about relationships. Ultimately, it's a relationship with Jesus. It might begin with a relationship with you, though a relationship with us as, as the church, with disciples of Jesus who know nothing but Christ and are willing to share what he's doing in their lives each and every day. It's a call to be real. Be who you are. I'm 
dead serious about that. Always have been. Be who you are. You are created to be the person that is sitting in that chair right now, walking up on this platform, about to pick up a musical instrument. Created to be who you are, but for more than just yourself. To be who you are for God. We are in the business of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, but it is God who does that transformation. Read this with me. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Amen.